The following episode contains spoilers. Hey, Joe. Yeah. Bird up. (laughs) (laughs) Dun, 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 dun. That's our intro. Hi, welcome back. <laughs> uh, welcome back to As Good As They Say. We are here to talk about Hollywood Reporters' top 100 films as polled in 2014 uh, throughout Hollywood. My name is Connor. Joe is back with me. Hello. Joe is back as we dive into film number 92, uh, which is up. Uh, our very first uh, Pixar film, our first animated film. Yeah. Which do not uh, not take up a large portion of the list. Mm. This is from Disney Pixar. It was released in 2009. It's Pixar's 10th feature film. Uh, directed by Pete Docter. Goes for about an hour and 36 minutes. So, you know, big milestone for Pixar. Their 10th film. Film had a lot of Oscar buzz. Mm. Um, looking at how it was received. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a 98% from critics, mm-hmm. uh, averaging 8.7 out of 10, coming off of 288 reviews. And uh, with the audience, it's sitting at a 90%, with an average of 3.8 out of 5, which would be like a 7.6 out of 10 if you double that. Mm. Pretty uh, well liked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the critic consensus says, An exciting, funny, and poignant adventure... Up offers an impeccably crafted story told with wit and arranged with depth as well as... Oh, God, I'm reading the totally wrong. And arranged with depth as well as yet another visual Pixar treat. Metacritic has it at an 88 out of 100 with 37 reviews. And the audience put it at 8.8 out of 10, which is literally the exact same score, actually. <laughs> um, with like a 1,000 plus reviews. Uh, so, Joe, you had not seen this. Yes, this was my first time. Yeah, I had. Uh, so before we get into nitty gritty, what were your overall like surface level impressions? I uh, I know you had a bit of concern that the only memorable part you're like maybe this movie was just the montage at the beginning and that carried the rest of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I didn't know anything about the movie other than the montage, uh, and I'm happy to say that it, it did. There was more than that. <laughs> yeah, it's a movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I I wasn't sure because um, up is up is remembered very fondly, but I I felt like nobody really talked about much beyond those like first ten minutes or so, uh, and I, I was just curious to see if the rest of the mill the rest of the film holds up. Uh, and yeah, I was I was happy to report that it's still a, a good movie. Uh, as far as accolades go. So uh, this movie got Oscar attention. Uh, its nominations were Best Picture, like full Best Picture, hmm. uh, Best Original Screenplay, Best Animated Feature, Best Original Score, and Best Sound Editing. Uh, and of those, it won Best Animated and Best Original Score, uh, which uh, I'm not surprised it won Best Animated. It was a Pixar film nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Original Score, um, yeah, I, I don't know what it was up against, but I, I can feel that. Hmm. Uh, at the Golden Globes... Uh, it won also Best Animated and Best Original Score, and it won a hefty amount of other awards. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them were Best Animated because that's just how these go when there's a Pixar release. Um, but a lot of other ones, nominations, uh, big nominations though, Best Picture especially. Not super common for animated films nowadays. 
so the story of this film, uh, it follows a 78-year-old Carl Fredrickson who uh, puts a bunch of balloons on his house mm. to fly it to South America. Yeah. Which is the, the, the base level plot. <laughs> That's the pitch. <laughs> um, Elevator pitch. Balloons on the house, South America. <laughs> All right. Um, along the way, Carl is accompanied by uh, a young boy named Russell, who is a member of the Wilderness Explorers, which are basically a Boy Scout XP. Mm-hmm. And in South America, they encounter uh, a disgraced explorer named Charles Muntz, uh, who was famous back when Carl was a child. Uh, his pack of dogs who have collars that let them speak. Mm-hmm. Um, the most notable of which is Doug, who accompanies Carl and Russell. And uh, an exotic bird uh, native to Paradise Falls that uh, Russell just calls Kevin. Yeah. Uh, which is being sought after by months, and it is related to uh, his disgrace so many decades ago. And Carl is motivated uh, primarily by uh, the loss of his wife, uh, who they both had a very deep-seated love for adventure uh, when they, from what they met as kids all the way into their elder years. Uh, she passes away, I would presume, not too long before the film begins, considering Carl is visibly about the same age. Yeah. And that is a lot of Carl's motivator. He... You know, he he speaks to the home occasionally as if it were Ellie. Jordan, Monster House come out before or after this film? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. And I, and I did think of that during this movie. <laughs> oh, man. Um, uh, so, yeah. Um, Carl, uh, visually, a uh, very square, uh, stumpy old man. Uh, he was actually designed to resemble... Uh, the actor Spencer Tracy, as he appeared in the film Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which just like Google image that and you'll go, oh, yeah, that is. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, his, his character uh, for a lot of the, the first and second acts of the film is very motivated by being hung up on the death of his wife, the dreams they they couldn't fulfill, you know, the, 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 la- the last bit of their lives they couldn't have together. You know, they were just about to go to South America just on mm-hmm. a vacation. Because, you know, when you need to be sad about his wife dying, they also need to pull, like, a three days before retirement kind of thing. (laughs) Um, uh, You do see his, you know, even in, like, his old kind of curmudgeonly age, he still kind of has that, like, adventurous spirit in him. Mm -hmm. A lot of his, like, grumpy old madness mostly comes from when the world tries to take things away from him or interfere with like the memories of ellie Mm -hmm. um even his departure is spurred by they back a truck into his mailbox which you know he and ellie painted together and that sets him off and he hits a man with his cane and he goes to court Mm -hmm. it's a pixar movie yeah Uh, (laughs) we got dark (laughs) yeah yeah it got it got scary sometimes so yeah they're going to repossess his house because he's being officially like court ordered to live in a nursing home so he hooks it up to a lot of balloons because mm-hmm. um, his his job was like the balloon guy at the zoo. Yeah. So I guess he just had many balloons <laughs> and that much helium. Uh-huh. Like they let him keep the helium tanks. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he uh, he he jerry rigs it. Uh, I like actually his control scheme is clearly based on Ellie's like imaginary control yeah. scheme when they met as kids in the house. And as time goes on, you know, as the movie progresses, we see him, you know, he grows to care about Russell. He cares about this bird when he sees that Charles Muntz has sort of gone crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he he learns to let go of his past and he does it quite literally in that he at one point to make the house uh float because as the film goes on the balloons are deflating it's having a harder time staying afloat he gets rid of like literally everything in his house Mm -hmm. which is literally throwing the past away and letting go um, although we do get that nice shot of the armchairs, which he did purposely arrange as they were, yep, uh, which was very nice, uh, how they were in the house. He let the past die. He killed it if he had to. <laughs> Last Jedi, kids. Um, and he sort of, that, that kind of end shift for him is a nice contrast to Munts, who only dives deeper into his past and deeper into his obsession. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Carl's, Carl's fun. Ed Asner gives uh, a great vocal performance he's the the perfect curmudgeonly old man and as ed asner is an old man himself Mm -hmm. um yeah it's also just i don't know if pixar or even really any like animated films had had protagonists this old right which i really appreciate it's a nice different perspective yeah it was cool to see and then to contrast him in the protagonist role we have uh russell uh voiced by jordan nagai uh he is a young boy who is a member of the Wilderness Explorers. Uh, he meets Carl because he's trying to earn his assisting the elderly merit badge. It's the last one he needs before he becomes a senior Wilderness Explorer. Hmm. Russell is uh, a ball of energy. He is he has a lot of enthusiasm for uh, his his scouting the outdoors. Although he, we also learn that he has barely done any actual camping. Mm-hmm. Um, we also know that he uh, comes from uh, seemingly a kind of broken home. Uh, he talks about not seeing his dad, uh, mm-hmm. how his dad has uh, a girlfriend that's not his mom. It, it sound, R- Russell says, like, you know, my dad's not home very often, which sounds to me like my dad doesn't live at home anymore. Right. You can tell it's it's been like this for a little while, but there are still some things that, like, Russell himself is coming to terms with. Like, mm-hmm. there's still a little bit of, like, oh, but my dad will show up for the, the ceremony and... Mm-hmm. You know, I think Carl can tell and the audience can tell, like, that's probably mm. not the way things are going to go. Yeah, that's like, that's largely why he wants this last merit badge for his dad to come to the ceremony for him. Yeah, and it's it's sad, but then you get to see, like, as Carl comes to care about him towards the end, and we see at the actual ceremony, like, Carl becomes this, like, surrogate, like, grandfather, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that nice, like, end credits montage where you just see them, like, hanging out doing things. Carl's a troop leader now. Mm. Um, and it's all really nice. Um, but Russell, I mean, he's also, you know, at the end of the day, he's a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means he brings something that Carl doesn't bring, which is a lot of the energy and sort of different perspective. He has his own brand of, like, childlike wonder and naivete with everything. Mm-hmm. But he's also not full of like an, a life of hangups. So right. like, you know, when they meet Kevin, he's just like, this is a cool bird. Don't let that other man kill the cool bird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a dog that can talk. Why are we not bringing him with us? <laughs> um, and uh, I, I learned, uh, I was reading. Uh, so Jordan, a guy was apparently cast uh, actually accompanying his brother to an audition. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if he was auditioning for up or if he was auditioning for something else, but they said that like Jordan just like as a person kind of embodied what they wanted Russell to be (laughs) also cool just to get um, uh, both Jordan and Russell are Asian American, which is cool to have in there. Um, I I think Jordan is specifically Japanese American and I would assume that Russell is as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, that's just also nice to kind of 
get in there, especially, you know, I think with Disney films, especially the animated ones, there's a lot of talk is like for a long time, um, you get a lot of just like the white princesses and like even the princes and stuff. Um, you get your occasional like Aladdin or Mulan, but right. anytime they get into the diverse leads, it's always just nice and refreshing. Mm-hmm. So rounding out the speaking protagonist, we have Doug. Mm-hmm. Speaking of high energy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Doug, Doug is a dog. Uh, he's voiced by Bob Peterson, who's one of the screenwriters, hmm. who said he knew he would voice Doug when he wrote the line, I just met you and I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Doug is a golden retriever, part of Muntz's like fleet of hunting dogs. And I mean, they're kind of every, they kind of do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he is stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like all the dogs have a slight level of like, dog intelligence you know they call russell the small mailman mm-hmm. and things like that but like doug is clearly the dumbest one right um he, he's bad at his missions mm-hmm. they send him off on missions just to get him away <laughs> yeah uh when he finds kevin he just follows it keeps going please be my prisoner because <laughs> it's going to work yeah <laughs> um he is he's a very he's very much like your happy i love you kind of dog like he meets carl who you know has this bird that he wants and he's just like i i just met you and i love you and you know what you're my master now <laughs> it's like don't you have one of those <laughs> but by the end of the film he's actually alpha because he outsmarts well alpha yeah the other alpha is just named alpha yeah um but he outsmarts him gets him in the cone of shame mm. and they just decide that he is the alpha uh because that's how i don't know pack animals work i guess yeah i don't know I'm not a scientist, uh, but he's just like, if Russell is like a ball of positive energy, then Doug is like the concept of it. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a very fun side character. One thing I, I remember going in is like, I was like, I wonder if Doug and Kevin are going to be like more grating than I remember as like the animal sidekicks. Right. And I found them both like thoroughly delightful. Yeah. Uh, which was very nice for me. And it's just it's just funny because they they translate a lot of like dog jokes mm-hmm. with speaking like the squirrel thing, mm-hmm. uh, the ball. You know when when he goes to get the ball, he like vocalizes like I will get the ball and bring it back to you. Yeah. It's like they're they're like simple jokes, but they hit just because I don't really feel like that's something a lot of movies with like talking animals have done. Right. Like I think they often like make them a lot more human, mm-hmm. and keeping some of those like key dog traits was interestingly unique. Yeah. They're just dogs that have been given the ability to speak. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then we have, um, on our villain side, we have Charles Muntz, voiced by Christopher Plummer, which I had no idea, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, we looked it up after the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he was a famous, like, explorer, like a proper, uh, like, pulp fantasy explorer. Uh, you know, he was inspired by, like, Howard Hughes, Charles Lindbergh, Percy Fawcett. And we know that for, like, a long time in his heyday, he was, like, really renowned and did a lot of important things for science. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when we see his museum later on of, like, the stuff he kept for himself, we have no reason to think any of that is fake. Like, all evidence suggests he did all these things. Like, even when he starts to tell, like, a little bit of one or two stories, like, that's ridiculous. But also, Mm. you're not a fraud to anyone's knowledge. Yeah. But he was disowned... uh, in the late 30s, early 40s, I think the film begins in 1940, exactly. So mm-hmm. I don't know how long ago he was disowned from the mm-hmm. film we see it in. Oh, right. Like uh, the the film that Carl's watching. Yeah, because he, he goes to Paradise Falls and he brings back a skeleton of the monster of Paradise Falls, which is 
Kevin species of bird. Mm-hmm. And scientists think it's fake. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you point out is, is kind of like the heyday of like dinosaur bone mm-hmm. Where they just uh, assemble any bones that they can get their hands on. Yeah, it's a new species. Brontosaurus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he vows to bring it back and prove he's telling the truth. And he goes to Paradise Falls and he has been isolated in Paradise Falls, just him and his dogs, for like 60 plus years. Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't know how old this man is supposed to be. <laughs> right. like, he was an adult when Carl was nine. Uh-huh. So, yeah. oh my gosh. Like um, 90, 100. Because he was probably about 30 at least. Yeah. Yeah, he's up there. Yeah. Um, he's clearly driven by nothing but obsession mm-hmm. uh, and paranoia. You know, when he meets Carl and Russell, you know, it's like, oh, God, other people, are they here for my bird? And then he's like, oh, we're fans. Oh, that's cool. And then they mention seeing the bird. And suddenly again, it's like, so you are here for mm, the bird. Right. There's that really scary scene where he's like, you know, I've met some people out here. Mm. And he's describing people and like knocking over like goggles and like flying pilot caps. And just mm. it's just basically like I have killed many men. Yeah. Would you like to join them? <laughs> it's just like, oh, OK. All right, Charles. Yeah. We're going to go. <laughs> You know, he, he's crazy enough. He has no qualms about, like, letting, like, Russell die mm-hmm. or anything. Um, he also, um, one of the things, he, so he dies at the end. You know, mm-hmm. he he gets his feet caught on some of the balloons, which, like, halt his, like, kind of jump from the house to the blimp, and he falls to his death. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching it. In my head, I was like, that was kind of quick. Yeah. Uh, and then you told me there were apparently a bunch of alternate deaths. Yeah. Uh, one of which was... Infinitely uh, more interesting. Yeah. I My favorite of the alternates was um, he follows Kevin into the labyrinth, which, like, he, it telegraphs pretty hard in the beginning. Like, when we first meet him, he's like, I can't go into the labyrinth. Uh, I've lost so many dogs in there. Um, and he was supposed to chase Kevin into there and just get lost forever chasing him. But they didn't go with that. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a really good implied death that would have been, like, a victim of his own obsession. Mm-hmm. Like, um, th- that carries through his character for the whole movie. That death wraps it up. Yeah. Instead, he just kind of falls. Yeah. Especially because, like, it sort of makes the the labyrinth of Kevin's nest, like, unnecessary anyways. Because yeah. no one ever goes there. Like, the, I guess the only purpose it has, like, the reason that reference is still there is... That's why he hasn't like tracked it back to where where its nest is, but yeah. but you could just say it's hard to track because he's having trouble tracking it anyway. Yeah, it's clearly got like Roadrunner levels of speed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, that was that was a weird one. Um, I would have definitely preferred that. Um, I was also saying when he was falling, I was remembering Clayton's death in Tarzan, <laughs> and I was just like, he doesn't. No, he doesn't get hanged on the balloon strings. <laughs> um, He's a solid villain. Mm-hmm. It's a very fast-moving film, so you don't get a lot of time to, like, ruminate on him, really. Mm-hmm. One thing uh, they do mention is uh, we were looking at, like, why they didn't use that ending, and they said it felt more like uh, Munce's ending than Carl's ending. And I, I don't think it'd be that much of a problem, but I, I guess, yeah, like... I, I think it would have been better to wrap it up, but you, we can come back to Carl after, I guess. Like, it, it yeah. wouldn't have taken that long. <laughs> no, I, I think I think you could have still transitioned to like the end stasis for Carl and Russell pretty easily. The I mean, the one the one thing that death does give us very nicely is that 
it, it forces Carl to abandon the house. Yeah. So it does float away. But then you do get to see that it lands right on the perch on the falls, which is this really nice, like, bookend to everything. Mm-hmm. And on the note of the house, um, so Ellie, who was Carl's wife, uh, voiced by Elizabeth Doctor, who is actually the daughter of the director. Uh, we only actually hear Ellie speak when she is a child meeting Carl as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, from then on, we watch the montage of their life uh, where neither of them speak during any of that. So Ellie, um, as a child, we see Carl was very quiet and shy. Like he exclaims maybe like twice. Right. Um, and Doesn't like, speak for most of the time when Ellie is speaking to him. Yeah. Um, like she'll, she'll ask him to like say something and he just kind of stares. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's very loud and boisterous, very energetic, uh, like a little bit of like a tomboyish kind mm-hmm. of vibe. And we see, you know, we follow them as they get married. Like the montage like begins properly with their wedding and we see their life. They, they buy the old abandoned house where they met, which becomes the house of the film. Uh, we see she works at the zoo as well, and she is like a bird keeper mm-hmm. um, who, like, interacts with the kids and stuff. You know, even, even at the wedding, we still get that, like, they have this very, like, strict dichotomy of their personalities, but they still blend together really well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the wedding's over, they're going for the kiss, and she, like, is the one that, like, grabs him and, like, dips him. Mm. We see her family is, like crazy boisterous i think someone fires a gun yeah (laughs) and we cut to carl's family who are all sternly just clapping with all the same like stoic honestly the fact that carl came out of that family is impressive yeah um just stoic expressions Mm. um but we see you know even into their elder years they have this like beautiful happy marriage she is like still a little bit of like the go-getter of the family and then you know unfortunately we see the two big tragedies one being there's a point when in the montage where it's clear they want to have a kid. Mm-hmm. And then we get very heavily implied infertility on her part. Mm-hmm. And then later, of course, she gets sick and she ends up dying. And, you know, it's 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 peaceful. It's a sad old person dying in the hospital kind of death. But it mm-hmm. still destroys you. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because Carl, you know, he, he was they were going on a picnic. He got tickets to Peru. They were going to go to South America finally. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we see they, they still have that goal. We want to go to Paradise Falls, but, you know, life happens, expenses mm-hmm. change. We see them breaking the jar of their Paradise Falls fund constantly. Yeah, just for, like, house repairs and everything else. Um, Things happen and yeah. <laughs> uh, plans get pushed back. Yeah, and it just, it sucks because you can see, especially there's a moment when Carl, like, realizes, like, oh, God, we're old and we might not make it. And that's when he buys the tickets. Uh, mm. But it's still, like, you know... You see their lives are still very fulfilling. And Ellie Ellie sort of becomes a character in, like, almost being the house after that. Mm-hmm. Um, Carl talks to the house as if it's Ellie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that worked really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's something that could easily have been, like, kind of weird. But it, it felt, it was constantly like, can you believe this, Ellie? And it was, it, it was really nice. Yeah, the house doesn't talk back to him. No. <laughs> um, and, like, even there's a point when Russell, like, he he says it out loud, and I think he doesn't realize, like, Russell's listening. Mm-hmm. And Russell's like, hey, Ellie. And Carl doesn't get, like, crazily upset. Yeah. Which I think is the other way they could have gone with yep. that. You know, it, there's a spirit of, the, the whole movie is a, a spirit of fun, and I think it carries through to every character. And Ellie is sort of embodies that even after she's gone. Mm-hmm. As far as other characters go, um, there's, a, there's a lot of dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alpha is the only one who really speaks that much. Uh, he's the leader of the pack. His voice color 
malfunctions a lot, so he sounds like he's got like an Alvin and the Chipmunks voice. Yeah. And when it's fixed, he's got like a weird distorted deep voice. I, I believe Peterson also voices Alpha, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll never actually hear what Alpha actually sounded like. <laughs> And then uh, the other dogs, you know, there, there's, like, two that have, like, more prominent speaking roles. They're just the two that are always with Alpha. Mm-hmm. But, you know, beyond that, dogs are there. Yeah. Uh, and then there's Kevin, who is a bird that just makes bird noises. Mm-hmm. Word noting, it's a, a female with babies. It is, yes. Uh, and uh, They name it Kevin Pryor. Yeah. And do not choose to rename it after the fact. <laughs> Supposedly, from IMDb trivia, uh-huh. uh, Kevin is named after Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. I think because of Bugs Life. Yes. Which is gross now, uh-huh. uh, and that sucks. Uh, but Joe, what, you pointed uh, something out earlier. Yeah. Um, Kevin Spacey is being followed by Christopher Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the conflict of the film, yeah. is Christopher Plummer chasing Kevin Spacey. So <laughs> it all came for full circle. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Uh, I will say, though, Kevin is a good, like, as an animal sidekick who doesn't speak, uh, has, like, good comedic relief. I cared about Kevin, mm-hmm. which, again, I was worried, like, maybe the bird doesn't matter. Like, I was, was right. is the bird a MacGuffin? But I uh, cared. And also, um, interesting way to do, like, animal. Like, the the dogs are all, like, anthropomorphized, uh, whereas Kevin is kind of just a bird. It makes lots of, like, scary bird noises. But I'm like, I still like you. <laughs> yeah, Kevin's... Kevin's basically a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> also, John Ratzenberger is here. Yeah. Because John Ratzenberger voices someone in every Pixar movie. <laughs> in this case, he's just like a construction worker who talks to Carl at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Just had to point out, still there. Yeah. So some notes of the specific film. We've talked about this, and I'm sure if you've heard of Up, at least you know about this. The opening montage is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it It is like 10 or so minutes of no dialogue mm-hmm. establishing a really compelling romance with really compelling life events and things you care about and you you feel like you have the entire story of this couple and the tragedy hits you so hard mm-hmm. god <laughs> yeah and sets up everything else it like it's not uh disconnected from the rest of the movie because oh, no. we followed that up immediately with uh him being badgered about trying to give up his house and you understand now because of the montage why it's so important to him yeah it's 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 one of the best like setups of exposition you could do in a movie Mm -hmm. you know carl never has to stop and say well ellie was blah blah you know yeah you know and you you know exactly as much as you need to and you care and it's amazing and it's so sad Mm. and man I, i will say like as much as like you know the movie the movie definitely is still a, a really solid movie after this montage, but I, I'm hard-pressed to think if that montage isn't the best part of the movie. Right. <laughs> um, very unsurprisingly, this film is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, the 10th Pixar film, you know, they had kind of nailed their animation style at this point from everything to, you know, it's a very lush, colorful film. Mm-hmm. You know, Carl has more stubble on his face as the film yeah. goes on. Like, little details. Uh, when they go to the canyon where months stays there's this great stark contrast to this like amazon rainforest you were in before Mm. uh the city is beautiful literally every shot with the house in full profile is the best shot in the film (laughs) like every time whether it's you know just you know a shot of just it floating along 
the sky and most of the shot is the sky or there's that like beautiful like sunset shot where they're all in silhouette um at one point it's just it's gorgeous sometimes i think we take pixar for granted yeah um like we're so used to uh getting consistently beautiful animation (laughs) i know like i remember when finding dory came out you know there was a lot of talk of like it's just finding Nemo again but like really remember how amazing (laughs) they made a film underwater look and they did it again Mm -hmm. like visually they will always have it and it's amazing Mm. and this is just a it's a great example honestly if this film had been thrown a cinematography nomination i would have totally gone along with it Mm -hmm. they also know when to not use color not depend on it there were more gray moments than i expected because it's the colorful balloon house movie (laughs) um but whenever the moment needed it they were they didn't shy away from dipping into grays no you're right like it's it it, it explores an entire color palette. Yeah. It's weird in its realism on occasion, despite mm. being primarily a very whimsical cartoon film. Yeah. Uh, the music also carries it beautifully. Um, the, mm. the theme, uh, which I believe is, is called Married Life, uh, the first instance of it. It's beautiful. Um, I, I, I think I've said this on the show before. Soundtracks don't usually stick with me. Um, at least on a first viewing, and I hadn't seen Up in so long that I had forgotten a lot of things anyways. Mm-hmm. But I noticed every time that theme came up in whatever reprisal it was yeah. in. It's beautiful. It's It can be like beautifully whimsical. It can be beautifully somber. You know, again, this film had original score nominations and awards, and it's just, it does, it sounds as good as it looks. Mm-hmm. Really, I think this film exceeds in just tone Yeah, in a way. It's... I, and I, like as much as it's it's going to destroy you in the first ten minutes, I would say it's a movie you can watch if you want to cheer yourself up because once it gets into the meat of it, mm-hmm. it it's just it's no pun intended uplifting. <laughs> um, and you know at the end of the day, it is kind of just a a movie about a man who flies a house to South America and has to help a bird uh-huh. bird up. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 Uh, do you think Eric Andre was inspired by Up? Oh, I'm sure. Plays <laughs> <laughs> in the Lion King reboot. <laughs> um, now, given it's such a silly, whimsical film, I want to talk about suspension of disbelief a little uh-huh. bit. I, I want to talk about the really cartoony moments where, while I was watching the film, for the most part, not a big deal. But mm. I want to like let's let's get into the science of Up, Joe. <laughs> Joe, how'd they get to South America in one day? Uh, with fast winds. <laughs> There you have it. Oh. Have you seen they've talked about the science of how fast he would have had to pump up the balloons and how many balloons he had? And no, I haven't. Basically, but I, I don't think it's possible. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've seen uh, like Mythbusters try to lift just a, like a child uh, and they needed like the house amount of balloons <laughs> uh, to just get him to like to moon jump. So uh, from from there, a house is quite a bit. <laughs> Um, how did both on separate occasions, Russell and Doug, hide under the porch and then while the house is floating, climb onto the top of it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. How do they do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially because we know that Russell is incredibly unathletic and couldn't climb a rope for a majority of the film. Yeah. And Doug has paws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, there's that. Um, I did like, though, uh. 
later when Russell is on a few balloons and using a leaf blower to fly around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that leaf blower is a callback because early on in the film, uh, Carl blew it into the construction worker's face. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, oh, he has a leaf blower. Um, does Alpha have weird grammar structure because he's a German breed? Uh, yeah, it seems to be because all the other dogs, they have dog uh, sentence structure, but it's still like English based. Yeah, it's not... The laughing that I will be doing when the <laughs> amusement arrives. Or and he just knows he's a villain. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And there is a little bit of that, like, German or Russian speakers to English that that's kind of like the grammar structure you hear a lot when, like, those characters are written. Right. I don't I don't even know if maybe that's, like, actually grammatical structure of those languages transferring. I don't know anything about those languages. Right. I know they're quite different from English, so I would believe that uh, transferring concepts over is not the easiest. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm curious. We've we've both at least seen a majority of the Pixar films that exist. Yeah. Um, before we get into kind of like overall stuff, like how how do you feel this is sort of like in the realm of just Pixar? Like where how is this kind of sitting with you? I would put most Pixar films higher, but that's not at all a knock against this movie. Are you saying that some of the balloons deflated? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I think this is really solid, though. Yeah, I did really enjoy it. I, I There was a little part of me that was worried I wouldn't enjoy it as much as I did, mm-hmm. um, that we sort of let that opening montage hype itself over the movie. Um, but I really, I really did enjoy it again. Um, and I guess on that note, is up in the grander scheme of things on this list and as a film, as good as they say. Mm, I think it is. I do too. I think all the positive reviews are definitely warranted. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at the list, it's the first animated film. Mm-hmm. And I think knowing some of the animated films coming up, I do think they are all better than Up. Right. We're Up ranked higher, but still the first animated film. I might pause a little more because we're still, you know, it's it's still that difficult phase of like, we're so early in the list and these films are so different from each other. It's like, mm-hmm. is Up better than the seven samurai well right. we have to talk about the types of film those are first for <laughs> a while and like i i think there's a bit of preference that comes into this mm-hmm. um there's that kind of i think childlike wonder that pixar taps into that other films just can't right so i don't really have any qualms with where it is i think I, there are pixar films i like more that aren't on the list right and i i, I might you know if it was more expanded, I might, like, move some things around. Like, there are films I might switch Up out for, mm-hmm. but I it didn't have a bad time with Up. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I feel, I feel like Up is, like, it feels like they took the concept for a short film, and that short film was done masterfully, and it ended up being full length. So it's not that it drags on because they fill that time well, but it does feel kind of like a really good short film. Yeah, it, it it does have kind of that whimsical weirdness that they put into their short films that don't always make the features. Yeah. But I, I still, I think it's also like, it, it, it knows its runtime. It's barely yeah. over an hour and a half. I think it uses it really well. It, it's a fast film. It, yeah. It, it's got a really quick pace, um, which and not in a bad way. Yeah, I really enjoyed watching it again. You know, Pixar rarely disappoints. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say they don't, but uh, rarely. So yeah, I, I think all in all being here, I think also, you know, it was in the more recent popular consciousness when this, you know, it was only five years before this list was made that it came out right. with Oscar nominations, keeping yeah. it fresh and Oscar wins. So yeah, no, I, I think it earns a spot here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can nitpick uh, and move things around, but I think it earns a spot. But that's up. 
Hmm. That's uh, that's up. Good, a good time. A nice Pixar film. Good to just have a fun time coming off of you know the, the last episode where I had to talk about just gross real life oh, things yeah. and interesting coming off of Close Encounters actually. <laughs> uh, weirdly similar in little ways. Um, kids are not as creepy in this one. <laughs> kids are not as creepy. Russell's a delight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to thank everyone for listening. Joe, it's always good to have you as the default co-host. Yeah. <laughs> um, if anyone wants to find the show, um, we are available always on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Uh, SoundCloud will get the upload first. Uh, iTunes and Google Play, usually within about 24 hours, uh, usually faster. Uh, the show is also available uh, for social media interaction on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, if you look up As Good As They Say Movie Podcast on Facebook, you should find us. Twitter, you can look up at good as they say, or as good as they say as the actual username. Either way, you should be able to find us pretty easily. Uh, we also have an email address, which is as good as they say at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say about the movies, the list, uh, things that didn't make it, things that did make it, things you agree with, disagree with, you know, opinions. We're full of them. It's the internet. Um, I myself am on Twitter at Connor which is C-O-N-O-R-D-E-D-E-K where I tweet about a bunch of random nerd stuff and it's hopefully a good time for you all. Um, But we will see you back soon. We're moving on to film number 91, which is Rocky, Mm. uh, which I have never seen. uh, I think I know who'll be back for that episode. Going to confirm some scheduling, Mm -hmm. but should hopefully be a good time. Some motivational punching and sports. Uh, Until then, thank you all. Uh, We'll see you again soon. Bird up. On a note, we almost forgot. Hey, Joe. Uh, Is Up better than James Cameron's Avatar? Yeah. Bird Up.